The following episode was recorded initially for the one-on-one podcast, but as the theme of our conversation follows very well the topics covered in Food Broken Promises, I decided to publish the episode again so that you don't miss out on this great conversation. So enjoy. That summer, beautiful sunshine. It was as though Bordeaux was, you know, taking us into its web. All you see across the river is this vast plain of the Grave that just unfolds towards the land. And it's, it's magical. And you feel that you come into like a little secret garden. This is One on One, a Table for Two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. Two of Bordeaux's most respected professionals explained to us that we had an extremely interesting terroir, the best terroir of the Côte. Every week, One on One dives into the world of food and wine through the eyes and experience of my guests. In each episode, you will discover their journey, what matters to them, the challenge they have faced, and how the world of food and wine is evolving. What is happening to that property is much bigger than us. We're going to be a blip in the history of the property. We're not controlling it and we can't control it. So we have to do the best thing we can to leave it in good shape for our children and hopefully for their children. Good evening. It's a great pleasure to be back for the uh, one-on-one podcast. And today I have the great privilege, honor, and pleasure to welcome Yumna Asaili from Chateau Biac in Bordeaux. Good evening, Yumna. Good evening, Antoine. Thank you very much for uh, having me on your program. It's a great, great, great pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, it's, um, I am honored uh, to be asked because I've seen that you've had a string of illustrious interviews before coming round circle to a Lebanese uh, making wine in in Bordeaux. (laughs) Yeah, and that is actually a fascinating story. Another illustrious guest on the show, uh, because I've, I've, I've heard many feedbacks about Chateau Biac, and one of them was saying that it is a very, 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 special place location the view from it the vibes around it uh we'll talk about the wine afterwards but the wines also <laughs> basically what what is what is so special about chateau biak well um it, it i mean it's i shouldn't you know it's a bit like talking of your own child it's difficult to talk about a place that you're so fond of um it's always better to hear it from other people really i mean the only reason why we're making wine in bordeaux as a family uh is because this place is is really unique uh there i mean obviously there are extraordinary estates in bordeaux mm-hmm. but um this this place is quite magical uh you you walk the minute the gates open up uh, and you drive, you actually don't see the house. You don't see the property until you've gone a, over a little hump. 
-hmm. And then you literally plunge into the river, uh, which is 93 meters at your feet. So it's a very high point and a great inclination downwards towards mm -hmm. the river. And then the, the panorama, the view extends as far as your eye can see. I mean, the horizon. Uh, we, 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 we <laughs> when we acquired the property, a friend of ours said, you know, on a good day, you can actually see the Pyrenees. Well, you know, uh, the Pyrenees <laughs> are about five hours drive. It's like seeing, saying you'd, you'd be able to see Paris from Bordeaux. So we took this with a pinch of salt and we think that maybe after a few bottles of Bordeaux on a, you know, on a clear day, then, yes. then you can see the Pyrenees. And Mont Blanc. We're, we're, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but you, <laughs> we're still waiting. I mean, you know, <laughs> 16 years later. But it, 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 it is a magical because when you see the view, um, when you see the view, it, it's unchanged. There's nothing in that view that reminds you that you're in the 21st century. There isn't a water tower. There isn't a, an electricity uh, uh, pylon. So the, it looks a lot like a painting of uh, Constable uh, or, Jean, or Rousseau painting, mm -hmm. uh, because all you see across the river is this vast plain of the Grave that just unfolds towards the land. Uh, and it's it's magical, and you feel that you come into like a little secret garden because the property you don't see it from the road, so mm -hmm. you have to wait for the gates to open, and then the gates close behind you, and you're in another world. Oh, that's beautiful, magical. So I, so I guess that uh, every time, because you're spending your time between London and 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 Chateaubiac, so every time and you Beirut. Are, and Beirut and Beirut and and every time you go to Biak then it's a way to disconnect from the whole world and all the mess of the world and everything else well we 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 enter another world mm -hmm. it's a bit like Alice you know and the cupboard or yes. you, you you walk through the cupboard and you're suddenly in a in a different world uh in a different bubble and there's always this ah feeling And when people come to visit us, we open the gates uh, for them. They ring at the gates and we open the gates. And usually we, you know, of course, we wait for them to arrive, but we wait and we wait and we wait because most people will stop at the top of the property and just take photographs. Because <laughs> so it's, um, but, you know, I, I, I won't reveal more. <laughs> yes, you have to go there. You, you have, have to go, go there. there because you, you have, have to come. You have, have to come. <laughs> yes, definitely, and because you and, have accom accommodations there. Yes, we do. We have guest houses, and we're in the middle of restoring them because when we bought the property, we really focused on uh, the vineyard, the winery. Once we had been told about the potential of the terroir. Mm -hmm then we all our focus was on restoring uh, the property so that we could produce a wine which reflected the potential of the terroir. Yes. We were faced with a choice. 
like everything in life, you're always faced with choices. Mm -hmm. And the choice was to go the whole nine miles or to do nothing. And we decided to go, to, to go the whole nine miles, mm -hmm. except it's a bit like a marathon, an endless marathon. It's not nine miles. It's every year the goalpost gets pushed back uh, another mile, another mile, <laughs> another mile, because you're constantly trying to improve what you're doing to, to the vineyard. Yes. We're going to be talking about the wine in a second, but where is home? <laughs> home, it's a question that I, I often ask. I used to ask myself. Mm -hmm. I don't anymore. I've stopped asking myself this question a long time ago because I am uh, in, too emotionally attached to where I am in the present. So if I'm in Biak, home is Biak. Mm -hmm. If I'm in London, home is London. And if I'm in Beirut, home is in Beirut. It's the best way that I can deal with this. Simplify things, yes. <laughs> simplify and live in the moment, mm -hmm. I think is, you know, what is the most important, really, because um, we, we, you know, we, we lived in London, the children were born in London, we, um, we had, what, over 30 years in England, so it is my home, but then Lebanon is my my genetic mm -hmm. uh, home that flows in my veins and not just me, my husband, we are emotionally tied to mm -hmm. uh, Lebanon. You cannot, you can never cut these ties yeah. or at least we can't. And then Biak came as a third challenge in our lives. So it's, uh, it's difficult, but it's the only way I can cope with it. Yes. So let me rephrase the question. If you have only one place to stay in for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> That is very naughty. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I'll answer. I'll, I'll answer. You know, as as well as I can. It, it's. I cannot choose. It'll be the place that I am at that moment. It happened for the pandemic. Yes. It, it happened during the pandemic. We were locked down in Biak. Um, we, although we had a daughter in England mm -hmm. and a very comfortable place and responsibilities in mm -hmm. Lebanon, it just happened that we got locked down in Biak. So Biak was our home then. You see, I, I I'll escape your question. Yes, I know. I realize that. <laughs> so 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 you're you're saying that you're accidental winemakers? Yeah. So just for the for the little overview, so you lived a long time in 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 the UK after living in different places after living in Lebanon at the start of the civil war in '75. Then in London, you were established for a long time. You were the queen of ice cream, if I'm kind of. Yeah, I, I, I became the queen of ice cream. Um, my mother used to do amazing ice creams. Um, and, uh, and so I inherited her recipes. And um, I used to make ice creams for friends in London. Mm -hmm. And one day, a friend of mine just told me, listen, you know, you're a pain. Because you don't, we have to remember after you've made an ice cream for us to send you a present. It'd be much simpler if you actually made us pay for the ice cream. So I researched at the time, mm -hmm. um, my husband being 
always a very good counsel and practical. I went to him with the idea of having an ice cream business. We're mm-hmm. talking, we're talking early 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, you know, Hagen das hadn't even arrived yes. on the British market. And, and at the time, there was just one man making uh, ice desserts for parties. And that was Maison des Sorbets. Mm-hmm. And so, but he was basically making always the same thing. And so I researched it and Tony said, well, make a feasibility study. And thanks to a great friend of ours, uh, Albert Roux of the Gavroche, mm-hmm. uh, he sent me to Le Nôtre in Paris, but not the, not the ladies school, yes. if you want, cooking school, the actual industrial school of gastronomy in Versailles. And I spent a week uh, making 125 recipes of ice cream. Mm. I lost three kilos, believe it or not. Wish yes. I could do that now. Yes. Again. <laughs> we were up from five o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening. And uh, when I came back to London, I started making ice creams and it took off. Yeah, it was a success. It was very successful. It was, yeah. it was, it was a cottage industry. It was very successful. Uh, to the point where I got to the point where I had two amazing business propositions, but um, I had to choose uh, because it meant really going very big. And on the advice of Albert and my husband, I actually stopped because it meant not being able to look after the children, Mm -hmm. being busy during holiday times, but I really had it. I yes. had it figured. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the wonderful thing is that, from what from what I from what I'm hearing is that there is that relationship to creating something with your hands and to sharing this with others because you know ice cream is 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 the perfect uh, thing for that. How long after that, to Biak? Um, let me think. Actually. We started going to Bordeaux the year I had to stop making ice cream, which was mm-hmm. 1990. Uh, 1990, we spent our first summer in Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And we spent it four kilometers from where we are today. And uh, the summer, the holiday was so successful that summer. Beautiful sunshine. It was mm-hmm. as though Bordeaux was you know, taking us into its um, web. Yes. Uh, We chose Bordeaux because Tony, my husband, had always loved wine, Mm -hmm. had a very good cellar, and the reds mostly came from Bordeaux. So we decided to go to Bordeaux and we found this house and we, because it was so successful, we came back again and again and again and fell in love with the place. And I think because um, the people, the people who we visited a lot of chateaus, of course, of the chateaus of the Mm -hmm. wines that he, he uh, had in his cellar, because they saw us come back again and again, we created friendships, Mm -hmm. but we never, ever, ever thought that we would a own a vineyard, B start making wine in Bordeaux. And that was never the idea, never. So what made you decide to jump to the other side? 
So yeah, it <laughs> jump on the other side. We're still jumping, by the yeah. way. <laughs> no, um, in the year 2000-2001, Tony's professional life changed uh, tempo. So he had a bit more time on his hands. And mm-hmm. by 2004, uh, we the children had grown up and um, two were working. One had just entered university. So we thought, well, let's do something for the next 20 years of our lives together. I suggested that to Tony and um, because with internet, he could do most of his business Mm. anywhere in the world from anywhere. And I thought it would be nice to have a project finally that we could do together. And the question was, what? Ice cream? No, I suggested (laughs) going to New Zealand. Oh, I suggested going to Chile. I suggested um, even going to the States and, you know, live in New York for six months. And because I, I used, I loved New York. Um, The art scene. It's a throbbing city. It's a, it's a, the can do, the can be is, is magical. Beautiful museums, Um, beautiful paintings. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, and everything, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it throbs. It's a city that um, has a heartbeat, which is palpable the minute yeah. you land. Anyway, so he said, well, you know, New Zealand, Chile, a bit far, and the a children bit. are all in Europe, <laughs> and we have our ties, of course, to Beirut, because yeah. this is where our main uh, patrimoine is yeah. in Lebanon. So he said, uh, why not Bordeaux? Why not get a holiday house in Bordeaux? And I said, very good idea. But what are you going to do all day? Because you don't want a vineyard. So what are you going to do all day? And he said, well, you know, more of what we used to do during the holidays, visit our friends, Mm -hmm. help them during harvest, um, read all the books that I've put aside that I've never read. So I thought, okay, and we made a list of priorities because we realized that we already had two homes and a third one was going to be a real pain to to manage. So we we thought, oh, uh, first of all, it had to be in the area that we knew that we'd been to all these summers because it's very conveniently located between Mm -hmm. uh, close to the airport and the city center. And yet it's in the middle of the countryside. And it had to be a really stunning place and no vineyard. That was underlined three times. Absolutely no vines. So we started looking and we looked. And of course, one year we couldn't have the houses, the house that we used to rent. And so we, a friend of ours found us, Chateau Biac, the guest houses. Once we'd seen that place, we compared everything to that location. And of course, there isn't anything like that location. Yes. So the result was that after seeing quite a few properties, I thought I'd clinched the right idea and uh, suggested that we offer the owners a long-term rental, like, you know, a 10-year lease on the guest houses. And um, with that in mind, we went to see them. And this is when 
l'homme propose et Dieu dispose, yeah. and we ended up 18 months later buying the whole property. That's how it happened. The property got you. The property got us. We were totally <laughs> hooked. And, you know, in those days, we, we had these amazing ideas, very easy on paper. Ah, oh, well, you know, if the terroir is not good enough, we will uh, pull the vines. Because in those days, I don't know if they still do, but in those days, Brussels paid you subsidies mm -hmm. to pull vines because there's too much wine in Europe and um, to plant something else. So we could have sold the bottom part of the property, which is where the winery is, and sat on the terrace twiddling our thumbs and reading our books and not worry about making wine. Yeah. But uh, Biak had another idea in its, yes. in its midst. And um, it's a small property. It's, you know, nine and a half hectares of vines. So very small uh, in terms of Bordeaux, because an average property left bank is 25 to 35 hectares. So three times, four times the size of our property. But we got hooked, totally hooked. And the decision to make wine, because you said no wine, we're not going to do any wine, we're not going to do wine making. This decision came because two of Bordeaux's most respected professionals explained to us that we had an extremely interesting terroir, the best terroir of the Côte, and probably one of the most interesting terroir in terms of soil composition um, in, in the area. And you had no clue before that? No, no. We Look, Tony had an instinct about the location. He's, he's very good in choosing locations. And um, he knew that there was something there. The location was just breathtaking. So even if the vines were not good enough, in terms of real estate, mm -hmm. it was unique. It turned out that both were unique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you plunged. What can you do? So we plunged. We plunged. Um, we plunged and we very quickly were able to hire the help of two amazing consultants. Uh, the first one to help us was a lovely lady, Christine Sourdes who still helps us with the uh, sweet wine and the dry white wine. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the first lady to have, the first woman to have an enology laboratory in the barsac sauterne area. Mm -hmm. She's very sharp, extremely demanding in terms of uh, quality and, you know, efficiency and practices. And then the second one, Uh, came who came thanks to a, a mutual friend was Patrick Leon. And Patrick Leon in unfortunately passed away in 2018, way too early. Uh, but he was the man that um, the Mondavis and the Rothschilds sought mm -hmm. to create Opus One. Yeah. And then he went on, you know, he, he's a You have, of course, amazing enologists in Bordeaux and around the world. I think what made the difference with Patrick was that he was the creator of wines, iconic wines, mm -hmm. which and his ability to immediately understand a terroir 
and always hide behind the terroir. There are wines that are made by enologists. You can recognize them and you can say, it's so-and-so who's mm -hmm. making the wine. Uh, Patrick always uh, withdrew behind the terroir to bring the terroir up. It wasn't him. It was all about the terroir. And, and we, um, we immediately uh, hit it off because we had the same the same views about lots of things. Yes. And um, he took us by the hand with Christine, who still looks after the whites, but he took us by, by the hand for the reds. And now his son, who uh, started working with him in his consultancy, uh, took over when his father passed away and kept us from the portfolio that he was looking after. Yes. I mean, you, you probably heard of Whispering Angel. It's one, you know, everybody knows Whispering Angel in the world. It's one of the great success stories of the first decade of uh, the 21st century. Well, Patrick created with Sacha Lichine, the Mendes clan. Uh, and it's, it's made for the Rosé uh, of Provence. It's, it's a miracle yes. what George Clooney did for Nespresso, for instance. Yes. And uh, apart from Patrick Léon and Christine Saudès, we were followed from day one, always thanks to this lovely friend of ours um, who introduced us to uh, Patrick and to Gilles Ray, our agricultural engineer. And he has been um, very, very important in 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 fact turning the property or or helping us to look after the property in a very holistic way uh, and that was very important because we are in bordeaux at the moment we're very much in a transitional period uh, there are you know biodynamics organic uh natural and there are all these the, this this appeal to reverse the uh, chemical uh, chemically outlook mm -hmm. that Bordeaux had, and Bordeaux had a, not a very good reputation in terms of soil management. Uh, and and Gilles Ray has been an, an amazing person also. So with that team and our our vineyard team, which we've had for now. Uh, 15, 16 years. Uh, we, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a, an amazing journey. To, and it's a journey that is still going on. There, there are three things that I, that I found connected in a sense. So you had that passion for ice cream, so creating something from your hands and that sharing with others because ice cream usually is festive. It's something that you eat, you know, for good moments and, and things like that. You have that inkling and, and that talent for uh, painting. So there's the creation artistic aspect of, of, of your personality. And then there's the winemaking which is also an expression of a terroir and something to share with others. How do you link the three of them? How do you, how do you find the balance in the three of them? And, and is winemaking now, because this is what takes you most of your time right now, does it crystallizes all the things that you aspire to in those different activities? 
Um, I don't. I I never thought about that. I I mean, the ice cream I still do. I still have mm-hmm. my old industrial ice cream making machine. So yeah, so that's still going on. I mean, on a much smaller scale, yes. obviously, but it's still there. I mean, people, anybody who comes during uh, summer, even in winter, I still make uh, winter flavors. Uh, the painting has had to take a step back, unfortunately, because it gave me a lot of pleasure. But at the same time, uh, the family has given me the great responsibility mm. to look after the graphics uh, of the property, which mm. is an enormous responsibility. Um, I mean, they're all capable of doing what I do in terms of choosing. We 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 take the decisions together, mm-hmm. basically. But I've been I've channeled the artistic creation towards the visual graphics that we need mm-hmm. for the property. I I painted um, an ad. Well, it wasn't an ad. It was a yes, it was an ad, which was completely different for Decanter magazine. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, they liked it so much they put it twice, which oh, nice. was very very nice of them. Uh, it was in 2016, mm-hmm. and um, I painted all the visuals on our website, the illustrations, mm-hmm. which the, were were in the process of of uh, updating the website Mm -hmm. and the winemaking is, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to say it's so natural. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're asking me a difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't make the wine. I mean, you know, I don't make the wine, but I love to taste the wine. It's all about, I guess, Epicurean. Yes. Uh, we have our son now who's, you know, looking after the technical part. Mm-hmm. So he's much more a winemaker than, yes. than Tony and I. We're, we've all, we've um, reassigned the responsibilities of the property. And uh, Yasmina, our daughter, who joined us in 2013, looked after the marketing side. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Lebanese are able to do a lot of things. I'm not, I'm not yes. um, exclusive in that. Yeah. But you're still the custodian of the land, in a sense. You are... Yeah, we feel you, that. Yeah, we, that, we, that, we. That feel custody that. Is, is, is important. We feel that because the first lesson you know when you're taking on a property is that the vines you're planting, especially at our age, the, the vines you're planting today, you're not going to see um, the end of them. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, I'd love to think that in 45 years I'll still be alive and kicking, but I don't think so. So if you understand that, that the vines are going to take a life on their own, of their own and the property is going to, to have a life of its own, mm-hmm. you relax because mm. there's no urgency. And if you're honest, you do what is best for the property and not to have a quick return. Mm-hmm. So it's a great lesson of patience and humility because what is happening to that property is much bigger than us. 
we're going to be a blip in the history of the property. We're not, we're not controlling it mm -hmm. and we can't control it. So we have to do the best thing we can to leave it in good shape for our children and hopefully for their children. Mm -hmm. They will do the same for their children. Yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult. It's a very difficult. Uh, you know, it's it's a, the dream of a lot of people. Oh yes, a vineyard. Everybody saw Russell Crowe in a good year. <laughs> you know, he sits on the terrace with a beautiful French wife to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The wine flows. Um, yes. You know, but it's much it's more bit... difficult than that. <laughs> a bit more complicated. It's much more complicated, especially that today you have brilliant wines from everywhere. If we had bought Biak in the 60s, it would have been a doddle because Bordeaux had very little competition. Mm -hmm. Today, you really have to pull your socks up and produce quality in order to make your little way and build a brand. Yes, which is very so, complicated these days. Yeah, it's, 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 um, It's very competitive. Yes. You know, for every bottle you place, there are 17 winemakers behind or a thousand winemakers behind you waiting for their bottle. And you have to you have to have the goods. Yes. Yes. You can only wish you all the best. If the terroir, <laughs> if the terroir is, good. is able to produce such a uh, you know such a quality of wine on a small terroir on nine and a half hectares with the cost of uh, producing wines in france today unless you're able to produce a really good wine you might as well pull the vines out yes yes because we have eight hectares of red and one and a half of white that's sweet and dry and um you know We do everything by the book. So it's very, it, unless we were, the terroir was able to produce a fine wine, we would have pulled all the vines. Yes. Well, can... And read our books on the terrace. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, we can only encourage, I can only encourage uh, the audience to, to try Chateau Biac and, 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 and visit. Uh, if 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 they if they can, when the guest houses will be ready again? Yes, next uh, year. Yes, and uh, fortunately, we're getting uh, close to the end of the conversation. But before that, uh, we're going to do the pivot questionnaire. So this is the the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, are you are you ready? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> What is your favorite word? Um. 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 Ah, hesitation. Ah, okay. <laughs> Not the yoga. <laughs> <laughs> could, be, could be, could be, could be. <laughs> what, what is your least favorite word? No. What's your favorite virtue? Too difficult. In other people or in, in general? Whatever. Life? Well, it's mm. not a virtue. Could be. To enjoy life, yeah, it is. Joy. Yeah, mm, nice. What is your favorite quality in a man? Honesty. What's your favorite quality in a woman? Same. What wine would you use to describe yourself? An excellent vintage, <laughs> preferably. 
<laughs> what aroma or smell do you love? Oh, coming from Lebanon, jasmine and gardenia. Oh, nice. Uh, in any language, there's no beeping. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you feel like. <laughs> Definitely Arabic. It sounds better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, I guess we won't we won't hear it. Um, no, no, I won't. I won't yeah. say it. But what, I think it. <laughs> yeah. What what sound what sound or noise do you love? Uh, music. What sound or noise do you hate? Screams, screaming, people screaming. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? A bear, because you can sleep in winter. <laughs> The whole winter. All winter. <laughs> And last question. If heaven exists, uh, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ahlan wa sahlan. That would be nice. Yeah. Yuna Saili, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Antoine.